Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Cadabby, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 35th meeting of Spew to order. Hello, Lavender. Hello, Queerness. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I'm, I'm, I am doing okay. I've successfully filled five classes this last month, and we're looking at trying to add more locations. One of, one of those locations was kind of like a, something I'm only going to be able to do quarterly, so I'm trying to get a few steady locations, but I'm, I'm now like, four regular locations that I'm filling classes. Yeah, you definitely, you sound really good. It's nice to hear. Everything's just kind of on the up and up. Yeah, I'm not, I don't have anything bad to report. <laughs> it almost feels weird, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does. Well, I too don't really have anything bad to report. Not really. Huh. Everything's good over in our neck of the woods. So far? Homeschooling still going okay, then? Yeah. Yeah, there was a little rough patch a couple weeks ago where I think we were just kind of all over it. (laughs) Like, everybody (laughs) involved. But we seem to have gotten over it, and uh, Abby Dabby has just been back to her typical, happy, funny, ham-bone self. (laughs) We're starting to see more of her personality come out, and that's been... Just amazing. Good. She's definitely a class clown. <laughs> She's class clown and teacher's pet? Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> Birthdays. First half of February. Yeah. Um, the 6th is Arthur Weasley's. The 13th is Luna Lovegood. In real world, Warwick Davis is on the 3rd. John Williams is on the 8th. And... Aaron Hines, who played Aberforth, is on the ninth. Happy birthday, everybody. Okay. I just had a weird, are John Williams and Warwick Davis the same age? And then I realized, no, that is not possible, because Warwick Davis was like 12 when he was working on Star Wars. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think about, uh, Papa Bear and I were watching something the other night, and it had Aaron Hines in it, and I told him, I was like, no, that's Dumbledore's brother, and he didn't believe me. But now I can't remember what we were watching for the life of me. I think it was Game of Thrones. Hmm. I think he's in that, yeah. There was a lot of crossover between Game of Thrones and Harry Potter actors, so... Yes, yes, there is. There's there's a lot. Quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, the important one is Filch. The most important, of course. And now there's a bunch of Harry Potter and the Crown actor... No, I got that wrong. Now there's a bunch of Game of Thrones and the Crown crossover actors. Well, um... Pretty much, there's only a handful of British actors, and they're in everything. So between (laughs) Harry Potter, Doctor Who, The Crown, Game of Thrones, they're probably all in all of them. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. (laughs) Downton Abbey. Yeah, Downton Abbey, that's another one. (laughs) So, Queerness, what are we talking about today? 
So today, we're going to be talking about linguistic prescriptions. That sounds very professional. <laughs> that was a, a, a fun phrase that I found that I'm like, oh, look, there's a name for this. <laughs> um, specifically, we're going to be talking about people first language. Basically, linguistic prescriptions is just kind of rules for grammar. So people first language is a hot topic in the autism community. And it, there's not a lot to talk about. I just have opinions. Okay. Basically, what people first language is, or also known as person first language, is the idea that rather than using a word like autistic or blind, you should instead use a phrase that puts the person first, such as a person with autism or a person with a disability. It attempts to separate the person from the disability. Um, it emphasizes that a person has a disability and they aren't the disability, whatever that means. It's what they always say, but I'm like, that doesn't make sense, but okay. And it identifies the individual as a person first and then the traits secondary. Uh, this is countered to identity first language, which is, well, the opposite of that. And also, just since I'm listing these off, there is a third option called person-centered language, which I had never heard of. And then I was researching it and I'm like, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. And then I realized it's not really used for, it's not meant for everyday speech. It's more for people working in the mental health professions and things like social workers and things like that to use. It is not a grammar rule the way the other two are, but rather a way of speaking. So it mainly replaces negative phrases with positive phrases. People first language is part of it. So that's like the primary thing it does. But then the examples I found is the word hostile becomes protective. Helpless becomes unaware of capabilities. Manipulative becomes resourceful. And my absolute favorite is unfit parent becomes experiencing barriers to successful parenting. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Th this is why like, I'm reading this. I'm like, no one talks like this. This is absolutely ridiculous. And then I realized this is the way, like, if you are doing, like, a case study on someone and you're writing this out in notes, this is the way you talk. This is what you would say. Yeah. So this this one doesn't really count, but it is it's related. That's the only reason I bring it up. So mainly I, I wanted to talk about my first experience with this because I had not heard about this at all until I'm, I think it was 2008. I was 17 at a Boy Scout camp taking the Disabilities Awareness Merit Badge, which is basically one of those really easy merit badges that you take just to get, like, an extra one in there. <laughs> a filler badge. <laughs> yeah. So I was taking this, and one of the requirements is that you must understand and demonstrate proper use of person-first language. So it, it did not use people-first language. I actually went back and looked up the book, and it has not changed since then. It still has all the same wording in it. But... This was the first time I'd ever heard of this, and so I immediately did not like this. 
I was like, this is the worst idea. Why do people think this is good? Because to me, rather than making it, rather than like separating the person from the disability, it sounded more like a disease. It, it made it this other thing that is not supposed to be there rather than just being like a part of me. Hmm. And I didn't really realize until years later that this is actually a very common thing in the autistic community and is widely is now to the point that's widely known most things that like are prescribing this people first language usually now have like an asterisk to say that a lot of people in the autistic community do not prescribe to it and that you should use what that person prefers but it still seems kind of shoehorned in and it's kind of confusing yeah, everything I see online, it seems split very 50-50. Some people are, you know, really supportive and prefer person-first language, people-first language. And some people don't. And there's like a small subset of people that really don't care. <laughs> in, in like everyday language, if you kind of use these types of things interchangeably, it doesn't really bother me. It's this purposeful rule and like this thought of actually using it rather than just using it because it makes sense in the sentence is the part that bothers me like if you just if it just makes the most sense in the sentence you are saying sure but this this forcing of this otherness is the part that i don't understand and don't like mm. okay uh just a quick kind of overview of the history of it uh so it was first um, described by Beatrice Wright in a textbook called Physical Disability, A Psychological Approach. This was in 1960. And so she was the first one to kind of say, we need to think about the words we're saying and how that affects people. And she kind of suggested this usage back in the 60s. But the first actual like advocacy group that um, really campaigned for this was actually called People with AIDS. And so this was in a document written in 83 called the Denver Principles, and they were fighting to change the phrase of AIDS patient to person with AIDS. It wasn't until several years later they kind of caught on that there were several other advocacy groups using this and actually calling it People First Language. And then the main push came in 1992 by the American Psychological Association. As of 2017, it is now the standard in all U.S. federal institutions, as well as the AMA style guide for all academic journals. So, finally, you know, in professional culture, this is the accepted approach, which I guess is fine. <laughs> but, like, b besides just the fact that certain people don't like how it sounds it's also just awkward repetitive and tiresome it can be very much so yeah and i think this is actually kind of something as i was researching this i kind of had this realization that actually a couple different realizations but one of them is the reason that this is awkward and repetitive and the reason this is a problem and i think it's specifically an english problem i couldn't really find anything to back this up but because English is an adjective before the noun language, this identity-first language is the default. 
And so trying to reverse that order, it takes a conscious effort. But I also didn't realize that it's not just the autistic society that dislikes it. Also, the blind and deaf people don't. They reject it as well. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Which kind of led me into my other kind of realization as I was researching this. And that is generally these the groups of people who reject it are the people whose disabilities are a part of them. But then there's the groups of people that maybe get a disability later in life. And therefore, they are more prone to want to separate it. Um, there's a couple others where I'm just like, Okay, but that's like a disease or disability that you've gotten later in life versus a lifelong thing that is just part of you. And it's like they're trying to use the same language for two completely different things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think so. Also, it's a little bit more of that whether or not you've accepted it. If you haven't accepted it, then that's where that more person-first language becomes more the desired approach. Versus if you do accept it, you'd rather the identity first approach. Ah, that's a good observation. Which is kind of why I think a lot of times you see parents falling into the person first language. Because that that was another thing as I noticed is you have parents of people fighting for person first. And then you have self-advocate groups that were fighting for identity first. Well, and that kind of goes back to your point on if you've accepted it. And, you know, as a parent, I honestly can't sit here and tell you one way or the other how how we address it because I've never given it too much thought. I mean, if I'm just being honest, I typically don't say anything at all, honestly. I'll just say, hey, this is my daughter, Abby Cadabby. And if they ask me why, you know, she won't talk, I say, oh, she has autism. She doesn't talk a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just don't feel I just don't feel the desire to communicate with people very much anyways. So, <laughs> yeah. And well, and that's it. Is I, I think a lot of this language is, again, developed for medical professionals and not necessarily for everyday use. But that's that's where the problem comes in is people pushing it for everyday use. I do like the idea of medical professionals using person first for some reason. I don't know why that appeals to me more. Specifically for like medical and therapy personnel, but... mm. I guess it just irritates me when people group autism with things that... And act as if they're related when they're not. Hmm, yeah. It is extremely annoying. Yeah. Yeah. So that concludes that discussion I wanted to have. Okay. You know, I did not find a trivia question. I looked, and then I'm like, none of these feel good. Oh, is that a true fact? I wish you would have said so sooner. If you give me a moment, I'm sure I can find one. Okay. (laughs) Oh, maybe not. (laughs) Nope. I need to start a running file of potential Harry Potter trivia questions for the show. (laughs) Yeah, they, it's not as easy as you would hope it would be. Although, and any any time I've attended like any kind of Harry Potter trivia before, the vault number that the stone is kept in always comes up, and I never get that. Always, one right. Every, I know, right? <laughs>
This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for SPEW at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to SPEW. Alright, let's talk about the news. Not a lot of news, but some interesting stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew Lewis did a interview with the New York Times. Um, just kind of talking about how difficult it is to watch himself in movies. He says, I find it quite difficult when too much of me starts coming through in a character. It's easier when I can play someone completely different, like a police officer or someone wealthy. At times it's painful how much of me there is in Neville. I'm watching it and I'm like, that's not Neville, that's you. I understand this. (laughs) feel like when you're in a character you're like, completely different and then you watch a video and you're just like huh that just looks like me <laughs> that just like looks like me sad <laughs> some news updates hogwarts legacy the rpg has been delayed until next year so 2022 this makes me very sad and angry it's kind of confusing that they announced a 2021 date Anyways, I thought when they announced that, that they were were pretty locked in at that point. Because it was so late, so late last year, that I thought that that they were confident on a date. But I mean, I guess maybe COVID threw it off. It did throw off a whole lot of games. That's what I'm saying, that like the fact that it was so late in the year, I would think that they would have that kind of in mind and understood. But I guess not. You you saw what happened with Cyberpunk, right? (laughs) The new Tesla can play cyberpunk better than PlayStations can. I don't doubt it. The PlayStation, <laughs> the new PlayStation is... is disappointing. That, that, that game was badly optimized. Build-A-Bear has added some Quidditch uniforms and brooms to its lineup, which it's the uniform from the third and fourth movie that is like the raincoat with the goggles. I just thought it was interesting. What? Tom Felton was continuing his rewatch of Philosopher's Stone, and he kept calling Draco a little <laughs> He's like, hey, there's that little <laughs> I feel like Tom Felton really secretly hated that he got that role, but he can't say that out loud. <laughs> and, the, and then um, he got really excited because his grandfather was one of the professors in that movie. He's just like, hey, that's my gramps over there on the edge. <laughs> they announced a new series of Funko Pop Patronuses. This is the second series. The first one was Harry's stag, Hermione's otter, and Ron's um, dog. What kind of dog Terrier. is that? Anyways, that, the first one was those three. And the second series is now Dumbledore's Phoenix, which goes on sale for public today february 1st but has been available for pre-order through wizarding world gold um there is also going to be snape's doe and mcgonagall as a cat and then the fourth one in this series is lupin's wolf um but that one the model hasn't been revealed yet hmm i don't have money for all of these cool things i I know that that's that's the whole, whole like funko pops in general i'm just like ooh, i want that and then i'm like yeah, I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> At least Legos have some interactivity. I still want the bonsai tree Lego set. Warner Brothers has appointed Tom Askim Asham. They've promoted this guy to oversee the Wizarding World franchise. 
He's been the president of Warner Brothers Global Kids, Young Adults, and Classics since July of last year. So they kind of expanded his responsibilities. So what exactly that means, I don't really know, but it's a thing that happens and it's relevant. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. For interpretation. <laughs> Richard Coyle, who is... um. Most recently, most well-known as Father Blackwood in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, announced that he has been filming Fantastic Beast 3, and he had to grow him a handlebar mustache for it. Oh, yeah. We have more persistent rumors that Warner Brothers is working on a series with HBO Max. At this point, it's still in early stages, and there are no writers attached to it. So... Um, I actually, I saw where HBO came out, I believe, yesterday and said that this was not true. Yeah, that don't mean... The thing is, with these types of rumors, these are probably always happening. And because there's nothing confirmed yet, they they just keep saying that there, there's nothing happening. But you just keep getting these rumors. And it, it may not be Warner Brothers working with HBO, but maybe just somebody tossed the idea around. The probability that they're working on a series, probably, but it's not anywhere near the ability of saying that they're working on a series yet, because there's no writers involved. That means they don't even know what it's about. But more and more rumors. That about wraps up all the Wizarding World news. Mm -hmm. Actually got a couple things on autism news. There's new studies out of the University of California on tandem repeat mutations, um, also known as spontaneous mutations or de novo mutations. Um, these are mutations in part of the DNA that contains non-coding material. So this is part of the DNA that doesn't include instructions, so they don't really research it much because they don't know what it does. But this new study found that people with autism tend to have 3% more of these repeats. So a, a, a normal DNA strand would have about 50 mutations. So we're talking about 56 or so mutations. But this appears to make up about 30% of the non-genetic cases of autism. Don't really know what to do with that information either. It's still just Here's a bunch more stuff that are related, but still not a definitive cause. So frustrating. <laughs> Another study from... It looks like a joint study between George Washington University to Hoku University and Chulalongkorn University that has noticed that prenatal exposure to BPA, or a high amount of BPA seem to trigger um, certain autism things, but only in males. So this could explain the imbalance in male versus female cases. But I thought that's interesting because that imbalance seemed to be much higher back in the early 90s, back before they stopped putting BPA in microwavable plates. Mm hmm <laughs> Hmm. And another study in Denmark found that autistic people are three times the risk for suicide or attempted suicide, and that risk is up to four times in females. 
all these studies. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. We so. should have ended with some happy news. Oh. Did I have any happy news? I mean, none. The only real bad news is the very last one, and I don't want to end on a sad note. Hogwarts Legacy is coming out next year. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be nice. Also, look look up a, a picture of Draco's grandfather, because it, it's, um, he's a lovely looking old man. He has a beard and stuff. <laughs> silver fox? Yes. I will send you the picture of the silver fox. Okay. <laughs> if you would like to join our conversation, uh, you can always send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a howler uh, by sending a voicemail there or clicking the link in the description or in the U.S. by calling 407-706-SPEW. That is 407-706-7739. You can also follow us at spewpod.uk is our website. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at Spectrum People. Facebook.com slash spewcast. And our Instagram handle is at spewpod. And as always, we'd like to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. Until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.